0: Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we have an awesome guest sitting on our couch today. Uh, We came to have this guest on our couch for a number of things. We started a series called Conversations with Clients where we had Aiden come in and talk about (laughs) the world of online (laughs) dating, which is really a far stretch from, I guess, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. But You know, conversation with clients. And then we had Keisha come in to talk about the work she does as an ABA working with uh, children with autism. And we have Marissa on our couch today who's going to get into some really cool stuff. And this kind of came out from, I don't know if you guys, uh, and if you haven't, I'm going to be upset. So don't upset me. Go back and listen to it. We did a podcast with a fella. His name is Dave. And he is involved with a high performance training facility for um, hockey athletes. And in that conversation with Dave, we were talking about a sports psychologist and how we suggested, hey, man, do you have a sports psychologist that works with you guys? If not, this might be a good idea. And then Amanda threw in the idea of her client, Marissa, who has been involved with sports psychology at the uh, university varsity athlete level. So Marissa's is hanging out with us, and Amanda is over there
1: in the Captain Kirk chair. Here I am. Hey everyone, it's Amanda. And yeah, we have Marissa Kazowski here, who uh, she's actually done a bajillion things, and I'll let her get into that. A bajillion. But a bajillion. That's, <laughs> That's a more word. than three. That's right? a word. <laughs> um, she's done a lot of different things, and I'm like I said, I'm gonna let her go through her whole backstory. But just to give you guys an idea, again, as Mark said, why she's here, uh, she started out. Um, I mean, you've. Been been playing sports since you were what a toddler four years old yeah, yeah. about that so she went to University of Windsor uh, to play hockey and due to some of her own mental health issues decided to leave there and then started up again and you were studying sociology correct mm-hmm. yep yeah, and went to Guelph University and played lacrosse And uh, while she was at Guelph University, I guess, I don't know if it was while you're at Windsor or while you're at Guelph, she can tell you that, but got this idea that athletes need people to talk to because you can't talk to your coaches. You're going to appear weak. You can't talk to your teammates. You definitely cannot. Same reason. So who are you going to talk to? And yes, there are sports psychologists, but as Marissa will explain, um, it's it's not the same. These people don't totally understand what an athlete goes through being on the road, dealing with pressure, dealing with teammates, et cetera, et cetera. So she started an organization, which was the student athlete mental health initiative, which had athletes at the varsity level being able to get counseling or even just to talk to other athletes at the varsity level, but not their own teammates, which I thought was fucking brilliant. So we had talked about that in one of our uh, massage sessions. And when Hockey Dave was here, sorry, Dave, if you're listening, that's what you are always known <laughs> as to me, Hockey Dave. Plus, uh, I,
0: don't, I don't remember what your last
1: name is, Dave. Just right. Dave. When Hockey Dave was here and we were talking about the youth athletes, my conversation with Marissa popped back into my head. And uh, so I reached out to her and she is a hockey goalie, which I apologize to her already for calling them weird on that <laughs> podcast, a goalie coach, a lacrosse coach. And um, she also volunteers with victim services with the Toronto police. So again, working with people with mental health and currently is working towards getting a master's in social work to create a career working with athletes and mental health. So... That was a really long introduction, <laughs> but thank you for being here today. Thanks a lot for having me. So let's start from the very beginning. Why don't you first tell everybody a little backstory on you and and who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh,
2: so my name is Marissa. I have been playing hockey and lacrosse since I was four years old. It has always been a huge, huge part of my life. It's been Probably my main identifier for as long as I can remember. I guess the mental health part of it came in uh, a little bit later. I was 14 the first time that I experienced mental health in myself, and then through university was kind of where I started to realize that this was something I was passionate about, not just in myself, but also in helping other people to deal with it uh, with their coping mechanisms. I always had those friends who would come to me, and it always seemed that they all came to me about this is what I'm going through and I just really feel like I can talk to you. So that's kind of where I got my inspiration of where I wanted my career in mental health to come from. But I always felt so, so helpless because I never had the tools. I never had a way to help them. I was just an ear for them to talk to. Although sometimes that's all somebody really needs. Absolutely. Right? It definitely helps when you feel like you're a little bit more prepared. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Can I ask you a question before you get into the serious stuff? Because I'm really good at talking about the nonsense. <laughs> Lacrosse. Started playing it really early. Yeah. How the fuck did you get exposure to look? Are you from Toronto? I am. Yeah. How did you get exposure to lacrosse so young? Because to me, that doesn't seem like something you get exposure to at a very young age.
2: So, I grew up on the outskirts of Toronto. I grew up in Pickering. Okay. Um, and more out that way Pickering, Whitby, yeah. surrounding areas of Toronto, beaches, everything like that. That is where lacrosse is prevalent. Uh, uh, not so much in the city, yeah. but definitely on the outskirts. Um, my brother played lacrosse. Right. So, and I wanted to do everything my brother did. Um, he was a hockey goalie. So I'm a hockey goalie. He played lacrosse. I played lacrosse. Um, my brother went on a hockey or on a lacrosse scholarship, sorry, to the States. I went for hockey. Everyone thought it was going to be the opposite. Um, but yeah, lacrosse was always... I
0: didn't realize lacrosse... I mean, lacrosse is the national sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone thinks hockey is. No, 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 no. <laughs> It's lacrosse. is. I'm pretty is. sure
1: even Hockey Dave himself said, hockey is Canada's sport. I was about to interject and say, <laughs> excuse me, Hockey Dave, it's actually lacrosse. It but I, I just
0: didn't realize that lacrosse, the opportunity to get into lacrosse happens so young. Oh, I yeah. always thought it just happened maybe at the high school level. It really does beyond.
1: depend on um, your upbringing. So for... for... For example, like I I know... Where you grew up, and I know like what your parents were into. Like, you guys are such a baseball family. I went to school with what felt like every second person was a lacrosse player. Brilliant. I was always surrounded by, I mean, for anyone listening that doesn't know, Marissa came to be my client because my best friend and her best friend are sisters, and they're a, a hockey and lacrosse family. Like the um the oldest sister in that family is married to someone who played lacrosse. She played hockey. Like it's I've always been around lacrosse mm-hmm. players. Actually, I think my cousin's my cousins' kids out in Clarington, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. They're hockey and lacrosse players. Yep.
2: Super prevalent out that way.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Anyway. I sorry. learned something. <laughs> so you started playing super young. Around 14, you started to feel that you had
2: some mental health issues? Yeah. So um, it was at what I thought was what everyone was going through at that time. Uh, I was dealing with my own sense of depression, anxiety. I didn't quite know where it was was coming from, but it was a lot of changes and the time in your life when you're dealing with all of that stuff, as well as hockey. So I had gone from the year before I was playing two years up uh, in an age group. I I had to get exceptional player status to play on the hockey team I was on. We ended up going to nationals. We won provincials. We got second place at nationals. I played on a lacrosse team that went undefeated the summer before. And then the following year, it was just that wasn't the case. And my sports life kind of got a little bit rocky. Um, I was playing on a team that had people who could barely, (laughs) barely skate. (laughs) We were not even middle of the pack. Lacrosse, everybody kind of stopped playing that year because it was that age group that you decide if you want to play hockey competitively or lacrosse competitively. Um, So, a lot of people made that decision and it was just so many changes. Well, you said in your own
1: introduction of yourself that uh, sports, hockey and lacrosse, were your main identifiers. Mm -hmm. So, was that sort of, I guess, the main contributing factor to the mental health issues? Like, this is who you are. You're a hockey player, you're a lacrosse player. And now you're on these, you know, for lack of a better term, shitty teams that don't make you feel like that. Oh,
2: absolutely. And uh, later on in my career, when it came to a time when I stopped playing hockey and then in lacrosse, when I got my concussion and was not allowed to play anymore, I had such a hard time. That was where it kind of, because everyone who's in the mental health field will tell you there's, it's an ebb and flow. Every, It's always highs and lows and you're going up and down through it. It's never something that's really consistent. So at that point in my career, it was okay, now I've lost my identity altogether. It's not just that I am changing a part of it. It's if I'm not an athlete, who am I? Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of athletes, whether they're dealing with mental health issues or not, when their university career comes to an end, deal with this because it's like, this is what I've put all of my time and energy in since I Mm -hmm. could skate, since I learned how to walk, whatever the case may be. And you have been an athlete your whole life And that has been your thing. So now that that is no longer there, you have to try and be a regular human or a NARP, (laughs) um, which so many, so many athletes struggle with because it's, well, what can I find that I'm as passionate about? as my sport.
0: When you're 14 and you're saying you're going through mental health stuff, Mm -hmm. are you mindful that this is mental health stuff? Or are you just 14 and you're like, man, I just, I just don't feel right. Or do you know, like, oh, this is, this is depression. This is anxiety. Or are you just like, I don't know. I just
2: don't feel normal. I mean, at 14, um, it was very much a, this is not how I'm used to feeling. I don't know what's going on, but I know that I'm off. Something is not right. Something is going on. I ended up like having a breakdown in the car with my dad, who at the time I was not very close with. Um, We were close in the sense that he would drive me to and from hockey. We spent all that time together. Never the like open up and talk about our feelings relationship though. Since then has changed, but at that time I ended up opening up and telling him, like bawling my eyes out, being like, I don't know what to do. I'm not in a good place, and I. I just, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And he was the one who got me connected with doctors and started to go through the process of identifying mental health things.
1: That was my next question is if anybody recognized this in you or if you were able to open up to anybody and get help at Mm -hmm. 14 years old. Because I can imagine, just as you said, I still don't have a relationship with my father. Not that there's, my dad's like the greatest guy, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like he's fucking he's okay. hilarious. He's the <laughs> nice, come on. My dad's awesome. <laughs> you know, you want to say it. He's okay. You do. My dad's awesome. But I've am just kidding. i never had exactly as you said, I've never had this relationship that I would call him and be like, this is what I'm dealing with right mm-hmm. now. It, and I think if I started to, he'd be like, uh, let me get your mother. Like we're just, <laughs> yeah. and I can imagine a lot of young athletes and now, You're a female athlete and Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that females can't talk to their dads or boys can't talk to their moms or whatever, but I feel like you take a young 14 year old male athlete, is he going to be comfortable to open up like this to his dad? Like, are there going to be these 14 year olds that are going through all of this and they don't feel like they can tell anyone like something is not OK? Is a 14 year old going to break down and start crying in the car with his dad? Maybe. But pro- there's probably a lot that wouldn't. Right.
2: And that's the thing is like I I have always been a very, very self-aware person Um, from the time that I can remember having thoughts. I know that I have always been very aware of my body, aware of my feelings. I've been very able to vocalize them. I've been very fortunate in that sense. I find that a lot of athletes who at least play hockey and lacrosse, because those are the worlds that I know, have the relationship with their parents where their parents have been driving them to hockey and lacrosse for as long as they can remember. You do have that certain relationship that not every kid does if they don't play those sports where you're on the road so many times a week. So you do have that relationship. However, there's so many kids who don't feel that they can talk to their parents because they feel like they're going to disappoint their parents. Mm-hmm. That was my, one of the reasons why I was bawling my eyes out when telling my dad, because I thought I'm supposed to be this strong athlete who I work so hard and I, I do well in school and I work hard at every point in my life. I can't be weak in this moment. And telling my dad that I was like, he's going to be so disappointed in me for feeling this way. Because he is that person who is just, okay, whatever has to get done, we can just do it. And for me to be like, I can't just do anything right now was Mm -hmm. such a hard thing to tell him because I wanted him to be proud of me mm-hmm. which I feel like so many young athletes have that feeling of I don't want to disappoint whether it's your coaches, your teammates, your parents, your friends, no matter who it is, you don't want to disappoint because you're used to achieving a certain level of excellence. So you did tell your dad and obviously he was responsive
1: to this and he he got you connected with the people that could mm-hmm. help you after that experience like you said then when you went to university mental health became a factor again. Mm -hmm. Was it easier for you to identify what was going on at that point since you'd experienced it before? Or was it a totally new thing because now you're older and now you're away from home and now you're playing at this
2: varsity level? Like, was it different or was it somewhat the same? So I actually went into university. I've kind of gone through all of the programs in this sort of field, but um, I started off in psychology because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do CBT, which Mm -hmm. is cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was what I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give people a way to physically help themselves. That is, you're not just hearing somebody. It's not just talk therapy. You're not going back and forth. It's here are things that I want you to go home and do. Here are things that I want you to recognize. We're going to write down. We're going to keep a journal. And I thought this was such a great exercise until going into university and realizing there's so many different kinds of therapy. There's so many different kinds of ways that you can help and ways that you can cope. And this might not actually be the route that I want to take to help people. Uh, So then I went into business because I was like, well, with a business degree, I can turn this into something with my passion for mental health. And then eventually I ended up in sociology. But going through that time was I had all of these tools and I was learning about all of these things. So it did make me even more aware. And at that time, everyone is kind of going through the changes of being in university and away from home and being an Mm -hmm. athlete. So all of my close circle people were also coming to me and being like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I cope? Some friends were getting really, really drunk all the time. Some friends were um, seeing if they could find drugs that would help them that weren't on the like the list of don't take these. And then some friends were just putting themselves into the library as often as they possibly could, but like it was very detrimental to their health. You could see them not doing well. So there's so many different coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily healthy, and I didn't have the wherewithal to tell these people like, you don't look okay. I know I'm not okay, but you don't look okay. So with my own struggles, it was just that much more... I was that much more able to be able to be like, okay, I can see this in other people and I'm recognizing this in myself. I need to talk to somebody. So in university, I also had a therapist that I talked to through the university, um, which was great. But again, it's not a therapist who understands what varsity athlete life is like. Right. So talk to me about that. Off mic, you were talking about things that I wouldn't have thought
1: of because I've, I've never been a competitive athlete at any level, really. So... What are some of the things that athletes deal with that the average person would never have to deal with in their entire life?
2: Um, so depending on how far away from home you are, uh, you have that you're completely disconnected from everyone that you've known. A lot of athletes play in in and around the city that they've grown up with. So if you grew up in Scarborough, you probably played for Scarborough or Toronto or one of the local teams. Everyone that you know, everyone that you've loved has grown up in that area. Um, If you're going to the States, if you're going to like I went to Windsor, which was four hours away, I knew nobody going there. It was just I'm going to make friends because I'm going to have a built in team that's going to be my family there. And you're just kind of expected to like go along with that. So all of your connections from back home are not lost, but very much separated. If you don't know anybody that you're going with. On top of that, you're dealing with every single weekend you're on the road. Um, You are practicing probably four to five days a week minimum. In the off-season, you're still training. You're still expected to show up to all of your things sports-wise while trying to maintain some sort of social life, while trying to get your homework done, while being on the road, you have to uh, organize getting your exams moved and your assignments moved and um, talking to professors about missing class and getting those notes that you're not going to get because you have a game across the province, the regular you know, stresses of just exam <laughs> that you have to study for. Right. University's
1: stressful enough. Mm-hmm. And now you're adding in essentially an entire career. It's like a full-time job mm-hmm. on top of going to school. And for most people, probably being that far away from home for the first time ever.
2: Mm -hmm. And those are a lot of the stresses as a student. But then you have to add on the stress of I have to perform at the best that I have ever performed while doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to be the best athlete that I could possibly be. While I still try and deal with my exams, yeah. and while I still do all of these things, it's
0: harder to be a varsity athlete than it is to be a professional athlete. Like they're paid, are, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. your job when you're a yep. professional athlete, but when you're a varsity athlete, no man. Like you're trying to make it as an athlete. You're and then you got to train. You got to like you said. You got to perform at high levels all the time, and then you have all the other shit that comes along with being a fucking student. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a tough fucking go for sure. Sure.
1: So obviously, as you said, you recognized in yourself doing this for the first time, being in Windsor, you recognized that you were not okay. You recognized your teammates were not okay, and you were seeing a therapist, but realized this is not a therapy that's working so well for me. So, what yeah. was the next step for you?
2: Um, so from that point, I I spent a lot of time on the phone with my mom. <laughs> um, it was it was incredible. I I'm so fortunate in that I have a family who's so. So dedicated to like my dad would drive out every single weekend, regardless of where we were playing in Ontario, he drove to basically every single game. Uh, my mom, no matter what, would answer the phone. It could be three o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, I'm stressed. I'm at the library. I need to talk to you right now. And she would answer and she would talk to me for two hours. Not everybody has that, and I I mm-hmm. totally recognize that, and I'm so fortunate. But my next steps were, I'm gonna go talk to my coach, and um because I, I don't know what else to do. I, I'm hoping that he has some sort of resource that he can connect me with. And it went all the way opposite of how I was hoping it would, mm-hmm. um, because it was seen as a weakness. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just another level of anxiety was, now I already have anxiety. I already have that, like not necessarily performance anxiety, because hockey used to be the thing that as soon as I stepped on the ice, as soon as I got in the crease, that was my safe space. That was my everything else in the world does not matter. And now that became one of my main sources of anxiety because I was like, my coach is now seeing me in a different light. I had a fairly tumultuous relationship with my coach after my second year. I went from being the go-to, I played every single game. I I think there were two games I didn't play and it was against the last place team to um, essentially my coach ended up telling me that I I lost the season for us and it was a lot to take on. Um, I went into training camp, or sorry, I left for the summer. I came back into training camp and was in the best shape of my life. Like, I'm not a runner, and I placed in, like, top 10 or something of running, and then top five of every other thing that we had to do. I was so proud of myself, and then I played two periods of six exhibition games of our preseason, which was I had played every game the year before. Mm-hmm. So to play two periods was a lot to deal with. Pause for yeah. a second. Is this because, I just want to make sure I'm following you exactly,
1: because you went and talked to your coach and yes. said, like, I'm not doing okay. Yes. He essentially just said, wrote okay, off. fine, you're done. Like, wrote you off completely.
2: Um, it was, it was kind of at the same time. So I was dealing with a bunch of these things. Uh, I had some life changes going on. And... In going to my coach, he I I don't know if he started to see me as weak or what his perspective was, but um, I know that it, it definitely had a detrimental effect on me. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, then you came... to have the season end and for him to blame it on me.
0: Yeah, and then you came back the next year stronger faster physically more ready mm-hmm. skills probably better than they were the the previous season and you're still in the same viewpoint from your coach yeah so it, i i'm gonna go all and say it had everything to do <laughs> with that conversation
2: yeah there were there were a lot of surrounding factors, but uh, eventually I came to the decision that I was going to stop playing hockey, which was the hardest thing that I have done. I've always said hockey was the hardest breakup I've ever had because it is the most supportive thing you have. Um, It is the place where you find your family because your family is your family but your chosen family is your teammates and it was just that that heartbreak of this is what I've done since I was four years old Mm -hmm. um what the hell am I now yeah I don't know what to do that
0: whole identity thing I want to ask you about that because uh, is it trippy that you, you identify like your life as being a hockey player, and then you're known in the hockey community as being this fucking superstar player. Is it a mind fuck that when you get out of that community, no one knows anything about you? Or, or, or like, you know, when you're on the ice doing your thing, everybody knows you. But mm-hmm. as soon as you're out of your gear and you're just walking, th- you know, in campus, like, no one knows who you are. Isn't that a weird fucking so, thing?
2: So that's the surreal thing is that obviously I don't go to school, I didn't go to school in the States and I know this is way more prevalent in the States, but, um, and I'm a female athlete, which again is another, we're not the football players in the Southern States. We're not the hockey players in Michigan. However, if I was wearing my jacket around campus, I did have people come up to me and be like, hey, you played an awesome game. And I would be like, oh my God, (laughs) you know who I am. You're like a (laughs) semi-celebrity. Which was crazy because we're still not the men's hockey team. We're still not the football team. So it, it was still really cool to have that experience. So to go from that to, when i went to Guelph the following year and nobody really knows because especially with lacrosse nobody cares about the women's lacrosse team yep. oh. it was it was like such a weird weird feeling because i was like i i did have such an impact and i really feel for the the athletes who Don't have my outgoing personality who are those like silent leaders who are the ones who get shit done on the ice and who are the their assistant captains their captains because they lead by example i don't know how that transitions into the real world because i happen to have the personality where i am super outgoing and will introduce myself to everyone be like hey what's going on not everyone's like that so to have those those guys and girls go into the world and try and still work hard um and have it show in their work whatever that is I can see that being really, really challenging when you don't have that that background of like I know I'm good at this. Yeah, this is something that I have done my whole life. I know I'm good.
0: I'm gonna tell you how much of a mind fuck this is. I don't I don't play fucking sports, but I play music, and it is a, such a mindfuck. It, it when it comes down to your identity, It really fucks you up. I played in a band. And we were at a point where all of the major record labels in Canada knew who we were. Wow. They wanted us on their on their record label. Like, we were wined and dined, all the rest of it. And then it gives you a certain identity, mm-hmm. right? You know, we got to a point where things were played on the radio. You play a show, all the rest of it, you get a lot of accolades. Mm-hmm. And then you take your fucking guitar off. And then you're just, you're, you're not that person anymore. Yeah. It's a mindfuck because that was such a hot... And and for, for for that for that fucking little amount of time, you're walking around thinking, yeah, this is this is good shit. This is what I am, and you're on this such fucking high. And then you get out, and then you realize. It doesn't fucking matter a fucking bit. Yeah. Like, that was all for nothing, almost. It's such a weird... That's how it feels, It's a yeah. weird... It's a weird go. Like, I've, I have I've played really big stages with really big acts, and then I take my guitar off, and then I'm, I'm roaming through the venue after, you know, a couple people be like, yeah, great show, great show. <laughs> and then I'm walking around going, yeah, we just played this awesome show, and you're roaming through the crowd, and it's like, no one fucking recognizes yeah. that that was you, and it's just a real fucking mind... It is. It's a mind fuck. It
2: takes your ego down a few notches. It does.
0: It really does. <laughs> (laughs) but I don't know.
2: But it's the same thing with athletes. I mean, it's it's one of those, like, you are when you're in your field, whatever that field may be, if you are on the ice, if you are on a field, if you are on a court, no matter what it is, whoever's in the stands at that moment knows who you are. They know your jersey number, they can see your last name, and they're like, damn, this kid is unreal. As soon as you step out of that environment, you still want that feeling of, I know that I'm good. I know that other people here know I'm good. And no, you don't have that. So how do you navigate that? So that's that's part of what the adventure, I'm going to call it adventure, of not being an athlete anymore, not being a varsity athlete anymore is like, is the how do I still establish myself? How do I still make myself known and make myself important in a world that is no longer what I'm
1: used to? Now you've broken up with hockey. Hardest breakup of your life. <laughs> and uh, did you come home? Uh,
2: I did. Yeah. I moved home. home. I didn't get out of bed for three months. <laughs> It was <laughs> not the most fun. Um, I I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. I I couldn't pull myself out of it. And it was one of those, I. it's not like I had a purpose for working out anymore. So I just didn't work out I, because I had been working out for my entire life because of hockey or because right. of lacrosse so that I had that reason. I need to be the best in my sport. So I'm going to work out. I enjoyed doing it because I was doing it with teammates. I enjoyed doing it with, because I was with other athletes who also were like, yeah, let's be good. So There was no reason for me to do that. I completely went off my eating track because I wasn't fueling my body to play uh, or practice. I was just eating. Now you're
1: eating your feelings.
2: Exactly. And I just stayed in bed. I was like, I don't want to get a job. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to play hockey. I don't want to do anything. I especially didn't want to be around hockey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Did you completely distance yourself from all of your old athlete friends? Or did you still keep in touch with people?
2: Um, I stayed in touch with my teammates. Uh... I, I lived with a bunch of teammates while I was at university. So they do become your family. It's it's not about hockey at a certain point. It's about the relationships you make. Mm-hmm. So those I, I stayed in contact with them. I went back to Windsor at one point to go and just see them and then cried for the four hours home because they were leaving to go on the road in two days and I went home. And it was just like, I can't do that anymore that was a tough one but so
1: then eventually mm-hmm. you picked yourself up out mm-hmm. of bed did you have help doing that like what was the switch how did you decide like i can't i can't live like this anymore i got to do something
2: um to be honest it was <laughs> there was a night that i ended up ordering food in and I was staying in my bed and I think I was watching Netflix or something on TV and so like my every night. Yeah. Cool. Cool. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, I, I stopped and I was like, what am I doing? I have never been this sedentary person. I have never been this girl who just stays in bed and like, I can't remember the last time I went out with friends. I can't remember the last time. And it was one of those, yes, I, I am an athlete, but I am also a very social person. I'm also someone that people feel like they can talk to, and I've just cut that off. Yeah, it's like when you lost the athletic identi- identity, you
1: forgot that you're still a whole other person Absolutely. aside from the athlete.
2: Yeah, and it's it's that hard thing that I was talking about earlier with when varsity athletes graduate, when you're, you're done with your sport, it's that, okay, this has been my whole identity, and that's all-encompassing. So we do forget that there is that part after hockey, and how do we navigate that? And it is possible and we all do it. Um, but how do you go about it? Which parts of you as an athlete are you going to take and put forward for the rest of your life? Are you going to take forward the, I was a great teammate. I'm a really hard worker. I always, always going to be there an hour and a half before game time or two out, whatever your, your time frame is. I am there to motivate other people. I am here to cheer everybody up. Whatever you're taking from your role as an athlete you can still take those same things and put it towards what you're going to do in the rest of your life. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of differentiating, now this is on the ice, or now this is in an office. So what was the time frame between that aha
1: moment of watching Netflix and ordering takeout and going back to school? Because you did go back to school.
2: I did. Um, and,
1: and you became <laughs> an athlete again.
2: Yeah. Um. So honestly, another one of my aha moments, as you called it, um, was I got a phone call from, okay, let me just say this. (laughs) Um, I always loved lacrosse, but lacrosse for me was a, this is what I do in the summer when I'm not playing hockey to take a break from hockey. I knew I was always really good at it, but I never felt like it was what I was supposed to do until... I stopped playing hockey. And then I realized I am so in love with this sport. I am so in love with this game. It brings me so much joy. I look forward to this every single year since I was however old I was. I got a phone call from the senior women's team um, in Whitby and they said, like, we have your rights because you played minor lacrosse here growing up. We want you to come play on our senior women's team. So I ended up going and playing for them and just having that connection of a team again and having that competitive, like I can work really hard on days when I'm not feeling well and still have a payoff was what kind of, kept bringing me out of bed and kept bringing me like, oh, I need to go and throw a ball against a wall. I need to go and go for a run because I'm going to be running a lot soon. And that was kind of one of the major, major things that it was finding that replacement that I could still work at. And yeah, I think anybody in the lacrosse community and lacrosse world will tell you that it really is like we are a very very close knit community. If you go to a rock game downtown, you are bound to know at least fifteen people there, <laughs> just because the whole community is so small and you really do rally together. So you started playing
1: lacrosse again, and then how did how did you get back into university? When did you make that decision? Why did you make that decision?
2: Um. So part of it was uh, I I just didn't want my my time so far to go to waste. I knew that I had to get my degree. And I was enjoying school and the stuff that I was learning before I left. It was just the heartbreak of everything else mm-hmm. that kind of took me out of it. So I wanted to be somewhere a little bit closer to home, but that I could still be away from home. Right. <laughs> and I started looking for schools that had lacrosse teams. There's there's no eligibility rules for lacrosse, So it wasn't like I was giving up any of my eligibility by going and playing. So I contacted the coach at Guelph and they ended up being awesome, awesome coaches. And I told them a little bit about my history and they were like, yep, please come play. So that was a really great confidence boost as well. And yeah, so I went back to school.
1: And so then you became a varsity lacrosse player. I did. And it was there at Guelph that you decided to start Sammy. I
2: was a part of of starting Sammy. Sammy... I was a part of starting Sammy at Guelph. Okay. Sorry, Sammy is a is already well known uh, throughout universities across Canada, but it wasn't a thing at Guelph.
1: Okay, so, so you brought it to, or um, you were one of the people that brought it to Guelph.
2: Uh, I was part of the the team that brought it into fruition, but what happened? It was really really messed up. There, I think there was three suicides within the varsity athlete community the year that I went to Guelph within like either that summer or starting up in that year in that fall it was like really fucked up around campus it was just that heavy feeling of what the hell is going on Mm -hmm. um one of the uh one of the guys on the men's hockey team ended up starting it as a project that he had and he went around and asked if anybody would be interested in helping. And I jumped at the opportunity. Can
1: you, for people who are not varsity, because I had actually never heard of it, which is why I made the mistake of saying, oh, you started it, (laughs) is I had never heard of it because I'm not an athlete. What what do you guys do? What is the whole initiative about? So
2: Student Athlete Mental Health Initiative is, um, it is a place on campus or a group on campus that Varsity athletes can talk to other varsity athletes about what they're going through. So a couple of the roles that we had were we would go around and talk to all the different teams and say, like, hey, guys, this is who we are. This is the team that I play for. Um, If any of you are struggling with adjusting to being in university figuring out how you're going to adjust to life after university, being on the road all the time, having schoolwork, how to talk to professors, how to talk to people in the athletic department, balancing your schedule, all of that stuff. And you just feel overwhelmed or you just feel like you need somebody to talk to who isn't a teammate, who isn't a coach. Come talk to us because we know that sometimes trying to talk to other teammates and other coaches is more stressful Mm -hmm. than helpful. Um, You feel like you're going to be either seen as less than or that you're going to be judged and you don't want your reputation or whatever it is that you are trying to uphold on your team to seen as anything less.
1: Well, and you saw firsthand that that is what happens. Absolutely. Talking to a coach, I never would have thought of that. Again, I, I was not an athlete. I never would have thought of that, that you can't even talk to Your coach Yeah Which is so very Very sad But it's
0: not Well it is But it is But it is But it isn't Because I understand Where that comes from Right Mm -hmm. I mean Your coach is your coach But at the end of the day Your coach ain't going anywhere But you're going to be Moving on at this point Right So your coach is Very concerned With their reputation And the Mm -hmm. wins That they get Right And they always want to Secure that type of thing As well So I kind of get it And I kind of get Why you can't talk To teammates Because there's always Going to be competition Between teammates Mm -hmm, So you definitely can't do that at all. I did have a question though. So when you bring this to other teams, is it well received or is it like what the fuck is this nonsense? Like, how, <laughs> how, how does that go? Did you get blowback from it or or was it generally well received?
2: um I would say it was pretty well received. It was. I mean, it's not like you're having um, a professional come in from an outside source. We're going in there with our with our gitch with our University of Guelph stuff. Like, hey guys, I'm Marissa. I play on the women's lacrosse team if anybody's going through this stuff, it is completely voluntary. If you want to come and talk to us, awesome. If you feel like you don't need to, here's our number. Well, not actually our number, but like, and it was as simple as sometimes people just need someone to go grab a coffee with. Yeah. I just need to talk to someone who isn't somebody that I talk to every single day. And it, it, it could be as big or as little as I'm feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss my mom. I, whatever the case may be, and you don't feel comfortable saying that to people who you see as your teammates. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I would say it was pretty well received. It was, it was that you're actually doing something. You're here to help. You're not just saying, oh, let me know if I can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's, because so many people will say that, and it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to say to that? Right. What are you going to do for me? So, we, we just give them those options. Like, we, we can connect you. If you are having troubles, we can find on campus or off campus resources that we can connect you with. I will go with you. I will set up appointments for you. I will talk to this person for you. I will help with conflict resolution, whatever it is. I might not be an expert, but at least let me be a mediator here.
0: Generally, are on campus resources just as good as off campus?
2: Um, I think it depends on what you're going for. Um, okay. In terms of mental health, um, yes and no, because the people who are on campus are used to talking to people who are having similar struggles. So they have different coping mechanisms. They have different ways to help that are geared towards university students. Mm -hmm. When it comes to athletes, if you have someone in the athletic department, then maybe. But again, every single person is different. You're not going to get two people, regardless of how similar their situations are, who think the exact same way, who are having the exact same reaction to things. So how long were you um, involved in Sammy at Guelph? Um, So I was only at Guelph for one year. Okay. Um, So I was involved for the year that I was there. Uh, We did a bunch of fundraising things. Um, It was it was really, really cool. And it was awesome to see that all of these different teams were coming together to help because you wouldn't... So the thing was, you wouldn't go to your own team. I would never go to the women's lacrosse team and be like, Hey guys, I'm Marissa. I'm with Sammy. Um, it would be someone from the football team. That's where or, you would have gotten
1: booed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it would be someone from the football team or the men's hockey team or... Um, somebody else coming in to kind of give you that background of come talk to me. I'm not someone on your team. How did you guys make sure
1: to let the athletes know like this is completely anonymous? Like, do you think that athletes would have been afraid to come to you guys in fear that like somebody else from their team would find out, their coach would find out?
2: I think that's always a fear because like within varsity athlete communities, you are generally working out in the same gym. You Mm -hmm. have similar workout times. You get to know each other. Um, Most of your, like when I was at Windsor specifically, our biggest supporters were other varsity athletes. Like the football team would come and watch our games. We would go watch their games. Uh, the men's hockey team and us were really, really close. They usually played after us. We would all stay for their game. They would all come early. They had to be there early anyways, but they would come early and watch our game. You, you get to know everybody. So like, I think that is a bit of the fear, but it was also helpful, um, at least because I was only there for one year, that nobody really knew who I was. So I went in and I was like, hey, I'm Marissa. I haven't been here for the last three years. Um, I'm new, but if you want to talk, I won't tell anybody what's going on. It is confidential. I will help you with your stuff. And um, I mean, if you're offering that, I don't think most people are thinking you're going to take advantage of them or you're going to go in there and spread all of their stuff around. No,
1: I don't think that. I was thinking more about like if you guys had like a location or if it was Um, based on each person, you know, we'll meet here, we'll meet here. But if there was like a specific location, would athletes be afraid to go there knowing that like, oh, I could run into somebody else on my team? Mm -hmm. Or was it like you guys would set up somewhere to meet and chat?
2: It was pretty individually based. Um, We didn't have like an office or anything. It was, we had meetings once a month that we would kind of talk about how, what we're going to do moving forward for fundraising or Mm -hmm. um, how everything's going. If anybody needed to debrief, we would kind of do that. But other than that, it was even within that community, it's interesting that some of the people who were facilitating these discussions, you could tell weren't being super forthcoming with their feelings on things and that some of the stuff might be sticking with them. But they're not going to come forward and say anything because you're supposed to be seen as this person, especially if you're working with athletes and their mental health you're mm-hmm. supposed to be seen as like a rock solid i have no feelings <laughs> i can handle everything <laughs> right you know so i guess this then further i solidified
1: your love for wanting to work with this population and working with people with mental health concerns. Absolutely. So you ended up leaving Guelph. I know that you did a stint in BC and uh, (laughs) now you're back with us and you are working on a diploma in social service work with the ultimate goal of getting a master's in social work. Yes. What do you want to do
2: with this? What
1: is your ultimate, ultimate final destination? So
2: it changes every day, but my most consistent one, um, well, as far as I've developed it so far is uh, I want to create a Job that doesn't exist yet. Right now, there's a huge push for um, sports psychology uh, and sports psychologists and the work that they're doing. And I am not trying to say anything bad about it, I think it's incredible. However, what a lot of these sports psychologists are doing are coming in, assessing, telling these athletes that, wow, it really sucks that you're going through that. And I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. Um, Let me get you in touch with somebody so that on a consistent basis, you can talk to this person and you can work through your coping skills and et cetera, et cetera. But the person that they get you in touch with is not necessarily someone who understands what it's like to be a varsity athlete. It's someone with a psychology degree who um, has specialized in mental health and might have studied a lot about mental health in athletes but has never actually been one. So what I would like to do is to go in in a university setting hopefully and set up a a system where I can work within the athletic department to be that ongoing person. Okay, well you're telling me all these things. I can understand what you're saying. I might not completely get it because every person is different, but let me help you with these resources because now I am trained to help you with these resources. I am trained to help you with coping mechanisms. And I understand what it's like to be a varsity athlete. I understand the all of the things that you're dealing with, all of mm-hmm. the extenuating circumstances that regular students don't have to deal with. So eventually, that's
1: where you want to go with everything. And mm-hmm. right now, you are doing volunteer work with victim services. So you yeah. are working with mental so, health in some fashion right now.
2: Yeah. Um. So we work with victims of crisis and trauma and yeah, it's it's super rewarding work. And it's just really providing me with tools to help in scenarios that I've never really felt comfortable handling before, such as suicide and um, domestic violence and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, and
1: I guess when you start actually working with athletes at a university level, you have no idea what they're coming in with. Sure, there's the regular athlete stuff that you dealt with day to day. Who've
2: been supported by families who have had um, all of the opportunities provided to them. I never had to deal with paying for um, every little thing. Like I never had to deal with relying on OSAP, only relying on OSAP. Mm-hmm. Um I never had to deal with my parents not being supportive of me playing my sport. Whatever the case is, I there are a lot of things that I would never be able to say I went through that.
1: So this is giving you a little bit more experience. Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> and right now I know that you're coaching. You're a mm-hmm. goalie coach. What ages are you working with?
2: Uh, so I work for a goalie coaching company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there for nine years, 10 years. Um, and we work with kids who are putting on pads for the first time at like six years old five years old, however they are. I think one of my oldest clients is in her 40s. So you work with literally everybody. (laughs) A lot of the work is primarily with, um, I would say, 12 to like 18.
1: Okay. So mostly youth athletes. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm asking that is, as we said in the intro, part of what sparked this idea to bring you back in here was the conversation we had with Dave from CHA High Performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he works with athletes as young as nine. And I think he said going up to 18. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I mean, roughly the same age group as you. And we had asked him, do you guys have sports psychologists? Do you deal with mental health? That's not something they have done yet. Mm-hmm. They're not close to it, but it's not something they've done yet. And one of the things he said was, I'm wondering if kids that young would, I guess, um, like be into that, if, they, if there's a need for that. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Young I think athletes? he recognized
0: the, the need for it. I think his biggest question was, I'm not sure a sports psychologist would be able to make it relatable enough to a right, nine-year-old. That is what mm-hmm. he said. And then we were kind of like, well, that's what they do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. For
2: example, the, the goalie school that I work with um, – at every camp we do, we do goal setting. So it can start as small as that. And we let kids do a vision board. We make kids do um, like in their goals throughout the week, from the beginning of the week to the end of the week, are you achieving those goals? What did it take to do that? Part of our goals are self-care goals. So that means that we talk to them about sleep habits. We talk to them about what they're putting into their body to fuel themselves. And then we're talking about time away from hockey. We're talking about time with your family, all of these things that to a young person make sense that right. they can relate to. But as they get a little bit older and we start using more words like self-care and mental wellness and these these sorts of identifying words when we're all encompassing <laughs> on that front, it's, it's more of a, um, a relatable topic because these kids are not going to understand what my mental health practices are or what my mental wellness tools are. Um, a nine-year-old doesn't care. Right. A nine-year-old is like, how can I make this fun? So. And And
1: you are focusing on the things that you said people struggle with is their life outside of hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do when you're not playing hockey? What do you do with your family? Time yeah. with your family being important. So... Yeah, I I think that is really important. You know, if we're going to start teaching kids proper movement patterns when they're really young, like we said, when we had Dave here, you should start teaching kids these coping skills and Mm -hmm. having an identity outside being an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, Off mic, you and I talked about parents, Mm -hmm. the difference between supportive parents of athletes and pushy parents. Give me some thoughts as an insider (laughs) on parents.
2: Um, So as a coach... I will say that parents um, can either be the best thing or the worst thing. It's one of those, I watch kids the entire time that I'm training them do this and look to the boards and look to the side to see what their parents are doing or if they're giving them hand signals or talking to them. And I will frequently say, oh, is your mom coaching you today or am I coaching you? Because if I'm coaching you, you're going to watch me. I'll tell you what we're doing. If your mom's going to coach you, she can put skates on and come out here. If your dad's going to coach, he can come out here oh, you want me to stay. Okay, good idea. So we're not going to look over there anymore, right? All right. Next time you look over there, two up and downs. Mm-hmm. And because <laughs> it's one of those, like, if you don't make it fun and competitive in a game, most kids will be like, well, my dad's, my dad's going to do this anyway. So I will also talk to parents and I'll also be like, while I'm on the ice, is there anything that you think I should be doing? And try and get the conversation going that way because it's that like, if you are thinking that I'm not teaching your kids something that they should be knowing, tell me, I'll either educate myself on it or I'll explain where I'm coming from. Um, But your kid constantly looking to you in the stands is not going to benefit them because that is just another source of anxiety down the road. Your nine-year-old who keeps staring at you every time they let a goal in is going to be a 15-year-old who is scared to get in the car with you because they don't want to get screamed at. The, The disappointment that I see coming from parents to kids blows my mind at like eight years old. I'm like, how can you, your kid loves hockey. Your kid gets to the arena and is having so much fun until they look over and see you. Like, don't ruin the game for the kids. Mm -hmm. However, then I have the parents who come up to me and they're like, thank you so much. I just, okay, next time when we come, like when we go home, we're gonna work on this, this, and this, is there anything else that you want me to be working on? And I'm like, this could be really good and it could be really bad because if you are supportive and you're doing this in a, a positive way, awesome. If you're doing this because you feel like your kid needs to be the best out there, stop. Just, just stop. Let your kid have fun with it. Your kid will decide at a certain age if they want to keep going or not. The only role that you have at that point is to be supportive. Mm -hmm. And if they do choose that they want to keep going, you just sit there and go, yep. Okay. What can I do? I will say
1: two things on this. One, parenting is fucking hard and the older your kids get the harder it gets and I I used to have parents say that to me and I was like holding a newborn (laughs) wanting to throw hot coffee in their face like what do you tell like this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and you're telling me it gets harder every year but it gets harder because yes you see you see your kid and you see what they can do you see their their potential and like on one hand you want to let them choose what they really like you want them to have fun And on the other hand, you want to be like not pushy, but give them enough of a push and motivation to keep doing something that they're really passionate about without making them hate it like I can kind of see how parents could get carried away mm-hmm. I, I do see that but it it really would blow my mind to see somebody disappointed in an eight-year-old like if your kid is enjoying a sport it breaks my heart let them keep doing it because if somebody is really really that passionate about something and the if that's what they're meant to do they're going to do it. Their coaches are going to recognize that mm-hmm. in them and they're going to, and they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. You being on top of them all the time is either going to make them hate the sport or resent you. Yeah. So. Well,
0: a big problem is you always hear the stories of the superstar athlete who says, yeah, if it wasn't for my folks being on me and making me do this, I probably would have given it well, up. that's and what I mean. Then you I wouldn't be where I am yeah, now.
1: You want to be like just pushy enough, like just motivating, really. It's not pushy. You want to be, because I'm sure every kid goes through a point where they might be excelling at something, but maybe they're the only one in their group of friends who have to go to practices four days a week Mm -hmm. and the rest of their friends are out having fun and doing whatever. And they have this thing that you have to be disciplined about. So when you get to that point, you need parents to sort of keep you motivated and keep you interested to kind of get you over
2: that hump, I think,
1: without forcing you into it.
2: Speaking from experience, um, my brother and I were those kids. We were the kids who we had a ton of friends at school who were constantly going out and doing other things. And we missed out. We, I'm putting this in quotations, missed out on a lot of um, opportunities that our school friends did. But we were begging our parents to be out the door to go to hockey. We were begging our parents to be early. Like it was... Our parents were always giving us the option, but they always also instilled if you're gonna commit to something, you're gonna do it. So for this year, you have to commit to this and you have to do it because if you're gonna do it, you see it through. Mm-hmm. Every year they would check in with us and be like, is this still something you wanna do? Is this still I something think, that I think
1: that's it? I think that's the fine line. Like you, if you're going to do it, you're gonna do it. Mm-hmm. It's not you're not gonna do it half-assed, you're not gonna skip practices, you're not gonna quit halfway through. Mm-hmm. But at the end of this season, Okay, did Check you in. love it? Do you want to do it again? I think that's the line. And I think that, you know, I, I've said this on another podcast where my parents were the people that the minute I said, I'm done, they're like, okay, you know, they wanted to be supportive enough to, you know, do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said before that there was a part of me that wished that they had kind of dug deeper, like, why do you want to quit? Because Mm -hmm. some of the things I quit, for example, skating. I quit skating when I was eight because I was getting bullied by another kid Mm -hmm. on the ice. It had nothing to do with I don't like skating. I didn't like that kid. So if they had maybe asked a few more questions or, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe we'll put you in a different class or whatever, maybe I would have kept going, right? So you need to be motivating but not like forcing your mm-hmm. kids into things.
2: I like I agree. I just I think that they're if it's within that kid, if it's within that athlete, they'll want to be there. They'll they'll keep giving you and like as a parent, my my parents told me all the time we could see things that we we recognized that there were actions that you were taking. You were going outside and you were shooting pucks. You were going outside and you were throwing a ball against the wall and catching it all the time. And like, these were things that we didn't tell you to do. You wanted to do them so that you could get better. So when we checked in with you and you said, yes, we never questioned it because Mm -hmm. there were these small actions leading up to this question that showed us, this is what you want. I also had an older brother who did all of these things, but my parents were never the ones to be like, you have to go outside and shoot 300 pucks before you go like before you go to school before you go to bed whatever it is we were the ones doing that and they would wake up and be like why are you outside at six o'clock in the morning (laughs) go to bed like you still have an hour before you have to wake up Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I think if it's within that kid it's within that kid to be an elite athlete however I don't know that every kid is an elite athlete not every kid needs to needs to do that not every kid wants to do that so if you want to play house league and be a house league player good on you you love the sport enough that you want to keep playing with your friends. Awesome. I will help as a coach develop your skill as best as I can that you're letting me be there for. Mm -hmm. Because I can get you to a point where you're going to want to move up or you're going to want to stay the same and be exceptional at that level. And that's that's your role as a coach. You, you want to make sure that your kids are progressing. You want to make sure that all of your kids are getting to a point where they at least have the option to try out for whatever the next step is. But providing them that safe space to be like, if you want to stay at this level, that's also okay.
1: Yeah. And again, we talked about off mic how there's the parents who they see all the other kids maybe moving on. So they feel like their kid needs to move on. Mm-hmm. But you as the coach know, this kid doesn't want to move on. This kid yeah. is perfectly happy where they are. Do you ever step in and talk to the parents about that? Or do you feel like that's not my place?
2: That's a tough one. Um, I think if I've had a converse, it also depends on the age of the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I've had a kid come up to me and be like, I don't want to do that. Um, I would maybe ask them if they want me to talk to their parents or if they want to sit down with me and their parents. But I, I think that's very much a conversation that most parents will not receive well. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if they are the, the parents who are like, well, all of our friends are moving up because it isn't just about the kids. <laughs> uh, like as much as it is, it it isn't because the parents. That's a lot of their social life too. Parents are going out of their way, however many days a week, to drive the kids wherever they're going. They create bonds with the other parents. They that becomes their social life. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of parents also forget that sometimes that just because your kid's friends are moving on doesn't mean that your kid wants to move on. That's a really it's a tough one to navigate and it's very situational. Um, if I ever had a kid ask me, like I don't know what to do, I would suggest like let's talk to your parents together. But that's not my place to be like, no, you shouldn't move up. <laughs> you know. Have
0: you ever seen someone that you you recognize that there's a huge amount of potential, they just don't want to do the work, or they don't or they want out. And then if you have, what is that like to see as someone who understands sports psychology? And then how is that also, because it's different when you look at it as someone who's a fellow athlete? So
2: um, this this is a great segue back into the mental health aspect. So what most, I would say, almost every single mental health practitioner will tell you is they come from a client-centered or person-centered approach, um, which means that you meet people where they're at. Um it is not my place to tell somebody where they should be or what they could do. Or like if I'm talking to someone, if I'm talking to a person who is staying in an abusive relationship and is choosing to stay in that relationship, it is not my place to tell them you need to get out of this relationship. If they don't want to, Mm -hmm. as hard as that is, I can sit there and have it break me and be like, I can see that this is hurting you. I can see that this is not good for you. And you're going in a really, really bad direction. I can only ask the person, what can I do for you? What do you need? What are you looking for from me? Okay, you want to know how you can help safety plan. I can help you with that. And it's not my job from that point to be like, but you should get out of the relationship. Same thing with athletes. If I'm talking to a kid and I can be like, you could just be so good, but they don't really care enough to move forward. You can't be, you can't have an elite athlete without the drive there already. So me taking a kid um, from this skill to this skill only does so much if they're not willing to put in the work to go that extra mile. So um, it kind of – I don't want to say it solves itself, but there's not a whole lot.
0: Does the athlete side of you ever just want to be like fucking buck up and go for it because – if you don't, you're probably missing a really good opportunity. Here.
2: Oh, if you talk to any coaching staff, they, they will tell you that amongst themselves, they are like, this kid could be so good. Right. Like, I wish they would just work. Um, and the only thing you can really do at that point is give more of a group presentation and like to the team address it and be like, guys, if you work hard, like you can be so much better. Like we need to really dive in and dig deep and you, you can have all those cliche conversations with them mm-hmm. um, and kind of pull them aside line by line even, but to have that individual talk doesn't really mean a lot if the kid doesn't want it. Mm. But yes, it does hurt my heart (laughs) because I'm like, (laughs) you are so much better than I ever was at that age and you don't care enough to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I would rather take a kid who I can see is not the most skilled um, and is working their ass off 10 times out of 10. Well, like I
1: said, I've never been an athlete, but I know, you know, all the cliche stuff that you were just saying and the fact that like, you know, a lot of it is mental. So I I think mental health and sport does need to be like something that people focus on. I think it is becoming becoming more normal?
2: It's maybe? becoming. um, I, I don't think it's there yet. I think there is still that stigma of you're an athlete, you are supposed to hold yourself and like you do as an athlete, you hold yourself to a higher standard.
1: We hold you guys to a higher standard. I mean, Mark and I've said multiple times on the podcast, like athletes are just they're just Different creatures.
2: It's a different breed.
1: It's very different when I have an athlete come for therapy here versus, you know, the the nine to fiver that comes for therapy here. Yeah. I know that when I tell the athlete this is what you need to get better, they don't even bat an eye. Okay, yeah, that's what I'll do. And you tell the average person and it's excuse after excuse, but you know, but I got the kids, but I got but I have this. The athlete will figure it the fuck out mm-hmm. because you guys are just different creatures from the rest of us. Yeah.
2: The other thing, um, that I wanted to mention is, uh, something that we don't take into consideration, which is, I have a ton of personal experience with, um, is the effect of concussions on mental health and athletes. And it is something that absolutely drives me nuts when I see kids going back to play two weeks after they have a, like a brain injury. I have had my, my 10th concussion was my career ending concussion. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least the one that made me stop playing. My seventh probably should have been my career ending, but I I love to play and I love to be out there and I love that competitive part of me. So, and I love being good at things. I, I, I hate things that I'm not good at right away because when you are an athlete, you pick things up like that, especially physical things. Right. So to have that thing taken away from you is is really hard. And it's not like you it's not like you have an arm that's broken and you physically can't do it. It's like I can do it. My brain just isn't letting me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so so many mental health issues that come with uh, TBIs that people just don't consider. And it's like yes, this athlete is is physically like looking at them. They can do it, but mentally they can't. And like it, it's physiologically they can't <laughs> mm-hmm. because if they do anything else, they can't be a, a regular human in the rest of their life. So I don't think there's enough emphasis on concussions in sports and the effect it plays on the mental health in an athlete.
1: I do remember my first appointment with you. I didn't remember the number of concussions until you just said it again, but I do remember my first appointment with you and us talking about your concussions. And when you told me that there were 10 of them, I was like, why the fuck did you keep playing so long? But again, I'm not an athlete. I don't understand that drive, that that's who you are. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe that somebody would continue to go back onto the field. But that's just like normal culture for athletes. Absolutely.
2: And like the pressure that you get from coaches, especially if you're one of the go-to players, is that, okay, like they'll be back in a few weeks. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to let your kid heal. You need to let your athlete get to a point where they can perform again without any symptoms, mm-hmm. and then you bring them back in slowly. So the push for um, pre-season concussion testing is so important that, that needs to be done and needs to be implemented in every single sport.
1: Mm-hmm. Because,
2: I mean, for me to do a pre-concussion test now makes no sense. Because my I've had so many of them that my regular is is so far from somebody who's never had a concussion. right? Like my regular how I deal with things and my my speed of my thought process is so far gone. <laughs> and I have been to chiropractors, brain trauma specialists, concussion specialists, sport concussion specialists. Like I've been to everything. I've been to naturopaths and like across the board, and I am still just just making my recovery almost two years later with all of these things in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is it is one of those things that I'm like, on my days when because depression, as I said earlier, goes through through waves and there's highs and there's lows and the point that I'm at now in my life is I have a pretty good handle on my coping me- mechanisms and how I deal with things. But my bad brain days is what I call them, are when my brain fog is just at an all time high. Um and I can't think like I normally do. And that's what gives me my anxiety. Right. Because it's the like, I know how I'm supposed to be thinking. And I just can't right now. And it takes me words just won't come to my mind.
1: These are the invisible things like a concussion, a TBI should not be treated the same as a sprained ankle as a torn ACL. Like those are injuries where we can very, I guess, objectively see the recovery process Mm -hmm. where, I mean, a concussion, yes, there's some objective testing you can do, but no, you shouldn't have an athlete back on the field before their brain has fully recovered. Like your brain is- Your powerhouse. Like, if you have something wrong with your brain, it's affecting everything else on the field. So, it's not the same as a knee injury, an ankle injury, a shoulder injury, which we expect still. We expect a lot of athletes. We expect that they're going to go do their therapy and be back three days sooner than they really should. And
2: the fucked up thing is that to try and make people see this, we say, well, you wouldn't tell someone with a broken arm to get back. So, we are making that comparison, and people are still like, Oh, yeah. Okay. So I kind of get it. But it's worse than that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we don't understand is you saying it'll only take two weeks for me to come back when it would take you six months to come back from an ACL surgery is, is so beyond comprehensible because I'm like, okay, this person uses their brain every second of every day. You can rest your leg. You can not use your leg, and that might be hard. But eventually, you'll be able to use it again. Brain injuries don't work that way. There is long-lasting, lifetime effects mm-hmm. where you may never feel the same way again. Right. And I just I don't think there's enough emphasis on it and like the role that it plays for especially contact sports um, and how athletes deal with it. I just Oh, it is something that I'm so passionate about. And it breaks my heart when I see coaches be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think they had they might have had a concussion like last year, but they're fine. Like, no, they haven't told me of any symptoms. I'm like, they haven't told you. I, I guarantee if I have a 10-minute conversation with this kid, I'll be able to tell. I will absolutely be able to tell if they have dealt with it, if they are dealing with it, and what they continue to do to cope with it. So that'll be
1: part of your practice then in this career that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> Maybe advocating for athletes with con- concussions. That'll be a huge Getting part of it. them the help they need, not just, oh, don't worry, it's just your brain.
2: And advocating to coaches and letting, like, I, I want to go and give speeches to coaches, Um, obviously with a little bit more research and a little bit more background on my knowledge, but on don't rush your kids back. Like I know you want to win and I, I I get it. I truly, truly in my heart get it. But bringing those kids back too early is not going to help you in the long run because you're not going to win. They're going to take longer in their recovery if they re-injure themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you really care about these kids at all and you care about your athletes at all, you're going to want what's best for them in the long run and this is not going to be it. (laughs) Are
0: you familiar with, or do you know how much mental health training or sports psychology is involved with the different levels of the national coaching certificate program? Like, coaches there's five levels of coaches Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in canada all the levels they have their theory then they have their technical and uh most coaches that are at elite levels they're levels four level five Mm -hmm. are you familiar with how much of their their theoretical training for that has a mental health component to it
2: um i know there is a component i'm just not sure how extensive it is Mm -hmm. um of the the coaches that I know who like truly are knowledgeable in these in these fields are coaches who have done external programs gotcha. who okay. have done um, other sort of training because they will the coaching certs will only give you like a certain level of what you need to know at that point yep. anything that you're going to really really be an expert on you're going to find outside of that
0: and one more thing that I want to ask for parents that are listening. Can you give us an idea of some points of a psychological profile for a youth athlete that might be a red flag or a yellow flag that they should look out for?
2: Um, so there is no one picture. Kids will present different um, symptoms in different ways. Uh-huh. Um, some kids, it depends on their personality. It depends on their athletic ability. It depends on um, who they are outside of their sport. But you'll start noticing changes usually in, in both factors with their sport and without whether that mean but it's also one of those things that a lot of parents will misunderstand mm-hmm. and say, Oh, they're just going through puberty. Right. Oh, they're just hanging out with new friends. Oh, they're just, and all of these things. Um, it's just one of those, like, just be involved with your kids. If you can create that that line of communication where it's like, check in with me about how you're feeling about things. Keep a journal, like write down how you're feeling. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's work on some things. Um, let's set goals. And then if that stuff starts to fade away and they were really passionate about it, that might be an indicator. Um, if they are starting to come home and not wanting to go to practice, maybe there's a reason why, maybe it is that there's a bully, like you said. Um, and maybe it's that they don't want to play the sport anymore. But finding out that reason why they don't want to play the sport anymore is so crucial. I know I've had kids that I've coached who were so over the top trying to impress the coaches um, to the point where it's like, look what I did. Oh my God, did you see this? Did you see what I did? Or like constantly looking at us, looking for, for guidance and approval. And it was one of those, um, I was working with a younger coach at the time and it was like, oh, this is so annoying. Like I wish that, and it was like, I think there's something going on there. I Mm -hmm. think there's something that whether you're not getting attention at home or whether there's there's some other things going on. And the same kid was one who was always smiling, like smile, smile, smile all the time. And it was to the point where it was like, I just scolded the team. You shouldn't be smiling. So like that was my first thing that I was like, everyone else is like, yeah, you're right. Like we need to like get together, blah, blah, blah. Um, And she's sitting there with a big smile on her face. And I was like, that's her coping mechanism. That is her way of portraying to the world, I'm fine, everything's okay, when it's not. So another one is just like isolating themselves. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things. It's, it's drastic changes, but it's also subtle changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: That's the thing when it comes to mental health is, as you said, everybody presents differently and it's hard to recognize. Um, before we wrap up like a little off topic, but we did do a series on mental health and one of the people we interviewed suffered with anxiety. And I actually suffered with postpartum anxiety and didn't know what it was for a really long time mm-hmm. because it didn't present as anxiety in a way that I was having panic attacks. I wasn't feeling scared. It was when I would start to get overwhelmed, whether I recognized I was overwhelmed or not, I would get irrationally angry Mm. at nothing. Mm -hmm. I once screamed at a woman at Tim Hortons because I was feeling overwhelmed and anxious at that moment, but I didn't know what it was. It took a long time for me to recognize this anger. I'm not actually mad at anybody. This is how my anxiety is coming out. So I love what you said and I agree with it where it's you just have to be present with your kids and really paying attention to them and I assume or hope that most parents are. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be a topic for another day of you know, parents who are (laughs) face down on their phone all the time, but pay attention to your kids and you know them better than anyone. If you're noticing even subtle changes, it doesn't hurt to check in and talk to them.
2: And that's the thing, it might be absolutely nothing. It might be nothing. It might just be that time in their life when things are changing, but it could be something. Yeah. So not being afraid to have the conversations about like how you're feeling. And I know that I grew up in with uh parents who weren't necessarily super, let's talk about our feelings. And a lot of parents now also grew up with that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't check in with your kids. That no. doesn't mean that you can't have that relationship with your children being like, hey, I noticed this happened and not presenting it in a way that's like, I'm worried about you. But just the like, just because talk. then you're going to give your kid anxiety about that. Yeah, just the, talk. Hey, I noticed this happened. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Like, so school called today, they said that you yelled at another student. Like, let's talk about it and not being like, why did you yell at another student? And then have that kid go to hockey and hit somebody from behind. That is a really
1: powerful statement. I just read this somewhere in something else, another study about just even as young as three, four years old, just presenting it exactly that way to your kid. Do you want to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Like just leaving it at that and letting them say whatever they're going to say. So I think that's, yeah, again, as Mark said, for parents listening just ask your kids, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And actually, don't even say what's going on. Just you know, talk? <laughs> yeah. You know, as you said, we grew up in a generation where that probably wasn't so normal, but now we know better, we do better.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as a coach, it's one of those things that like, that is my coaching philosophy is I have always told the kids, especially the ones who are in their teen years, I get that talking to talking and your parents can be hard sometimes. I want to be an outlet for you, but I do want your parents involved. So if you're going to talk to me about something, and you feel like you don't know how to approach it with your parents, come talk to me. Let's have that conversation together. I also want to be that safe space that you can come and talk to if you don't feel safe talking to other people. So let's just talk. I am a super, super passionate person about my sports, but I also recognize that this is these kids' lives. This is what they're doing, and I get to be a part of it. So taking that knowledge and presenting it to these kids as a Let's just talk. I'm here for you and let's, work through this, whatever it is, um, and not having it be a, you fucked up, you're going to do this, and you have to do push-ups and blah, 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 blah. It's, what else is going on here? Let's explore this not just from a I want to win perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been the the game changer in terms of like how I approach my coaching techniques.
0: Awesome. I have two quick things, really fast, really fast. I have my level two volleyball technical. I've This is a long time going back, <laughs> right? And I have my level one theory. I never got my level two theory. And is there any... <laughs> Do you watch? Are you a movie fan? Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of sports movies? I am. Tell me your favorite
2: <laughs> sports
0: movie moment and tell me why.
2: Coach Carter. Okay. Um. When um. The kids. Uh, cousin gets shot and he goes to Samuel L. Jackson's door.
0: Yes. Um, I know the scene very well. That
2: is my absolute favorite sports movie moment. Getting Um, getting goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it really does exemplify the role that coaches play, not just in the sports scenario. Yeah. Um, It's that... That moment of you are so much more than just somebody who tells them to shoot from a line or someone who tells them that they have to run or skate or whatever that is that you do. You are a role model. You are a support system. And it is that moment that I really connected with that was like, if I ever had a coach that I felt this comfortable with, that would be the best coach that I've ever had. So that's how I want to be.
1: Do you have one? Don't look at me. (laughs) I've I've got (laughs) one like you.
2: On the spot. I can.
0: Gridiron Gang does it for me all the time time I get goosebumps <laughs> but my favorite sport scene ever is Moneyball hmm. and there's a scene where they've just Oakland A's have just lost a game and they're all have you seen the movie yeah and they're in the locker room and they're dancing they're loving they're loving life we don't know I why know this scene and very Billy well. Bean comes in and he smashes everything and he's like this is what losing sounds like and it's silent that
2: was oh I have goosebumps still. yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I've always, my brother and I always joke about this because uh, he just started his own business in Equestrian and just so far off of everything we grew up with. <laughs> Hilarious. But um, it was always, we hate losing more than we love winning which is such a detrimental attitude, but it was like, that's what pushed us. And it's just like, I never want my kids to say that. I want them to love winning so much that they don't even think about losing. I would prefer that mentality to, I hate losing more than I love winning.
1: Mm. Anything else, sir?
0: No, no, I think I'm going to take that piss now though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about we wrap it up here then? I think we got a lot of good information from Marissa. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks guys. And uh, I think this will be really, really interesting and go along with a lot of the other stuff we've talked about. So this conversation with a client, I've enjoyed it. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks guys.
0: You guys have been listening to two massage therapists and a microphone. Peace.